It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 713 of Accelerate, that's 713 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have another excellent episode lined up for you today. Joining me as my guest is Dale Dupree. Now, many of you might know Dale from his posts on LinkedIn, his frequent posts. He is the copier warrior, and he's an articulate advocate for keeping and emphasizing the human element in sales. Now, we're going to talk about why Dale thinks the time is ripe for a sales rebellion and what the sales rebellion means for the average B2B seller. We'll also get into why Dale believes many sellers are struggling uh, he believes it's because they're focused on the sales process to the exclusion of the buyer. And for anybody that's listened to the show at all, you know that I wholeheartedly agree with that. That is one of the fundamental problems we're facing in sales today. So we're also going to talk about some of the basics. And, and Dale's going to share his story about the customer-focused sales philosophy that he learned from his father in the business that he now runs today and how that still guides him in his day-to-day selling. Now, before we get to Dale... I want to take a quick second to talk about the sales house, the sales performance program for B2B sellers. Now, in the sales house, I give you the tools to master the skills that are going to elevate you from average to excellent by, first and foremost, winning more of your opportunities. I mean, you know how to build a relationship with a prospect. You've been taught that. But do you know the four core relationship skills, the four core skills that will enable you to build a trusted relationship with any prospect? I mean, you've been trained how to do a discovery call, certainly, but do you know the two most important pieces of information you need to learn from your prospects? And knowing these will make the difference between winning and losing? And I'm sure you've been coached how to qualify an opportunity, but do you know the one agreement above all others that you need to reach with your prospect before they can become truly qualified? I mean, if you're not completely satisfied with your ability to win deals, then the sales house is the perfect resource you need to reach the next level and the level above that. Members get unlimited access to checklists, playbooks, courses, coaching, mentoring, and an engaged community to help you sell with more confidence, trust, impact, and acumen. So come learn how to become the best version of yourself in the sales house. Visit thesaleshouse.com. That is thesaleshouse.com. Look forward to seeing you there. All right, let's jump into it. Dale, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate you having me on. Well, hey, you know, we've been exchanging communications on LinkedIn for a long time, sharing content. Um, so tell people a little bit about yourself. Yeah, me. Um, so people will probably know me better as the copier warrior other than Dale Dupree. Um, the copier warrior. <laughs> Which Some of those funny things. You, you make a personal brand for yourself, and then it like overtakes your actual person that you are. <laughs> and so, the copier warrior is what? So, the copier warrior is a young man that was born back in 1985 with toner running through his blood uh, because his father <laughs> owned a copier firm when he uh, when he made his son. So, yeah, yeah. Spent uh, my whole entire upbringing at my father's small business, and I actually got into music at the time I was 17. Toured around the world. Headed back to my father's business, as they say, the prodigal son returned, uh, got into full-time sales at that point, uh, worked for about four and a half years under him, and, and then he sold the company to a, a much, much larger firm, uh, became their number one rep my first fiscal year, and eventually became their VP of sales after hitting that number one button too many times. 
moved on from them to Xeno Office Solutions, which was a global uh, core, which is a, a Xerox company. So mm-hmm. $2 billion. Ran the sales department in Orlando for them. And then woke up one day and decided that what I was doing was bigger than just for copy machines and copy, copier sales. And then I needed to start to expand my horizons a little bit and take some risks. So okay. I quit my job, started the sales rebellion, and uh, here we are. Okay. So tell us about music. You toured the world mm-hmm. doing what? So I sang in the band. Uh, I played a lot of the instruments as well, too. Or I guess I, I thought I played them at least. But What was, the name, what was with, the name of the band? The band was called Imperial. And is there like music out there we can hear? Yeah, totally. You can still buy my albums if you want. I get paid, so please. So what's our music? <laughs> it's heavy metal. Heavy uh, metal. Oh man, cool. Pretty much the opposite of what most people Death listen metal. to. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. a lot of fun. And you can still hear? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thankfully, I uh, I wore my headphones or my earplugs every night. So excellent. So. What, it just wasn't going anywhere? or No, we were doing absolutely fine. Uh, matter of fact, we were at that, that breaking point where we were about to take off, but that lifestyle wasn't necessarily what I wanted for my family, mm-hmm. um, and it definitely wasn't wanted what I wanted for some of the members who were struggling with um, addictions mm-hmm. to certain drugs. Um, so it, it became bigger than just playing music. It was right. people's livelihoods and their futures. And, and I had a vision for moving it in a different direction. So we all mutually decided to stop doing it. Although we, we did continue to play even when I came back and, and started to help my dad with sales at his company. We continued to play locally around the Southeast, um, but it just it fizzled out. But we were signed to a, a, an indie label called Pluto Records and then ended up on Warner Brothers Music Group. So Very cool. So is there a reunion in the offing? <laughs> reunion tour. It's funny because we, we actually have an album pretty much done right now that we haven't released. And I don't know why we haven't released it. Honestly, we could do it at any minute if we wanted to, but we just haven't really felt called to. So but you of, never know. It, that might be the reunion. So yeah, I was going to say, you're afraid of being sucked back in. <laughs> probably. Probably. That's all it is. <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's talk about the sales rebellion. And so my first question is, what are you rebelling against? <laughs> so my vision for the sales rebellion is based on my walk as a sales, uh, as, a, as an individual contributor and a sales manager. As, a, as, as both, though, the way that I looked at my sales walk is that everybody told me that I had to go to the right um, or Meaning- to the left. Right? One way or another, I was told that I had to, to do it this way. Right. I have to cold call this way. I have to set appointments this way. I have to converse with my prospects and clients this way. And none of it really seemed like the right thing for me to be doing, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Even through sales training that I had taken, um, I, I took multiple different forms of sales training. But the one that sure. I actually liked the most was Sand, Sandler. That mm-hmm. was probably the one that I identified the most. And that, that one actually opened my mind even further to the thought process that, again, you know, bore the sales rebellion, which was that we don't have to be you know, standard salespeople in our walk. We, we just have to be standard people is what we're really trying to convey to our buyer that I'm a human on the other end of this phone call. I'm a human on the other end of this walk-in sales call. And what we were doing was creating this just extremely intricate machine in the sales world from what I was 
observing to the point that we were driving ourselves and, and, and our buyers away from the true form of sales. So that's why the sales rebellion was born. All right. So boy, lots of points to unpack there. So what's the true form of sales? To me, the true form of sales is it, there, there is no right answer to that. There is no wrong answer that, to that either. But to me, the true form of sales is my individual personality, my individual touch that I put into my cadences, into the mm-hmm. processes mm-hmm. that I take my, my prospects through, uh, the workflows, uh, the whole nine yards. But, but to me, what the true form of sales is, is just communication, basic human interaction. That's what, what it really boils down to is that taking the hello, how are you to the level of, of, of the basics instead of going in and having a conversation with somebody because we're trying to get somewhere with them or to accomplish something for ourselves. That's a selfish mindset and a selfish attitude. Right. So, so that's how I look at it. Okay. So again, we're rebelling against something. Um, and so what you're saying is that, and I'm not disagreeing necessarily at all, if you've paid attention to what I talk about is, is, I know you get it. <laughs> is, is, yeah, from my perspective, I, yeah, I see this increasing emphasis on conformity in sales. I mean, I'm substantially older than you are and have been through <laughs> several sales revolutions and rebellions, so to speak. Um, but it, it seems like, as I said, given sort of the, the introduction of a lot of the technology into the sales space these days, is it, it sort of encourages this conformity, this compliance to a specific uh, model, if you will, and which is really sort of ironic because, you know, these are industries that are really set about and created for the express purpose of disrupting markets. And yet now we have sales processes that are scripted and robotic and so on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, technology has definitely made it worse, in my opinion. I mean, quite frankly, because instead of using it to accommodate the things that we're trying to accomplish as salespeople, uh, we use it as a crutch constantly. We say, well, I'm just going to automate all my outreach and here's my generic message that I'm going to write to send to 4,000 people and I'm going to hit go. And I know that 10 will at least write me back. So that's good enough. I'll hit my quota this month. So, so I, I do agree with you in that I don't think tech has necessarily helped us the way that it should have, but it did help me. I mean, extraordinarily. So. Sure. So what do you think is, and I agree. I, I, I was just writing something for one of my upcoming daily emails is, is yeah, a friend of mine wrote something on LinkedIn this morning talking about, Start taking to tasks what he called supposed sales experts for uh, claiming that it wasn't all about the basics and sure. and the fact oops sorry a little feedback there but the fact is it's not I mean I'm no one's a bigger advocate for mastering the basics than I am but it's not all one way or the other I mean sure. to your to your point is we need to learn how to integrate the technology to help us do better. Because I think one of the things that's missing, at least in my perspective, interesting in yours, is that you look at all the research research data, and it's just saying that sort of year over year, we seem to be doing less well as an industry, right? Percentage of reps making quota and so on. So how do we turn that around? I hope to turn it around with the mindset that I'm bringing to the table from this respect of what the rebellion stands for, which is that we have to start taking things back. Like we think a lot about ourselves. I, I, when I think of sales and I think of salespeople, I think of all the things that they want to accomplish inside of their own walk, right? I, if I can think of the last 10 salespeople I, I talked to even, the, the conversations typically go like this. They, they, there's a complaint about something <laughs> and it's usually a process or their boss 
Uh, there is a, a mindset that is consistent across the board, which is that I got into sales to make a lot of money is usually what people tell me. And, and, and last but not least is that everybody asks for help <laughs> on top of it. And I'm talking people that have been in sales for 20 years and people that have been in sales for two, weeks. you know, it's, it's pretty consistent across the board. It's funny how it works. Right. But, but really what I hear when everybody gets to the end of the statement is that they, they'd like things to change. They'd like a different mindset and a mentality. They'd like uh, leadership that understands their breaking points and, and what their perspective on sales is as well too, which to me is, is where we've, we've disconnected it is that we've stopped thinking about our buyer. We, we say we think about them because we say things like you need to know what your, who your buyer's target market is and you need to understand how your product works for your buyer. Well, the, 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 the buyer understands all that shit just the same as we do. And so it is important for us to understand it, but <laughs> at the same time, it's not a magic pill that's going to suddenly allow the buyer to open up to you. Oh my God, you know, my customers, I mean, good for you salesperson. That's what I think in my head. And most buyers I talk to feel the same way. So when I was out doing outreach, just to kind of give you an, an idea, you know, and, and really wrap up the answer to the question is that when I was out doing outreach and I was, my mentality was like, I'm just going to go shake hands and learn. That's what I'm going to do. Point blank. I could care less if anybody's buying a copier, but in the same, in the same instance, when I would walk in and have those conversations, I always had a piece of interrupt marketing with me, mm -hmm. such as, you know, brand or something specific that donuts. allowed first. Right. Yeah. Well, so, and there's a, there's a funny one too, is that donuts are a great thing, but what about an empty box of donuts for your buyer with a message on it that says, I ate these in the car on the way in because this is the ninth time I've tried to bring you some and you won't get back to me. Right. So, you know, the, the idea though, that to be fun and to be interactive and create entertainment right. for our buyer. Right. I, I think that if we, we would stop looking at everything as a process and start looking at everything as, as just basic regular human interaction that again is, is short lived because if you're going to be in a career for 25, 30 years and retire, it's not a lot of time <laughs> as it is. In the copier industry, every five years, a lease renews, right? At, on average, it's like 42 months or something like that, right? So, I mean, there you go. Like, you're going to do a transaction with this customer four times in your career on average mm -hmm. if they stay. So, I just don't think that we think big enough about sales anymore. We've dumbed it down to these processes and these robotic habits instead of thinking about the bigger picture, which is life. Interesting. I mean, which I, I said, I don't disagree with. I mean, I think that the basic rules of sales to succeed at sales, and I've got this acronym you may have seen what I've write, written called BALD, B-A-L-D, you know, four yes. core rules to succeed in, in relationships in life. Yeah, it, it transfers over. Um, but I, I, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's less about money motivation. At least what I'm seeing is, is yeah, people say I want to make a lot of money to come into sales because I think they, they feel like if they don't say that, people will look badly on them, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, why are you getting into this if you don't want to make money, right? Um, but, you know, the research is fairly consistent as the top performers are motivated more by service and accomplishment and achievement than, than money because they know that it comes if they achieve those others. But it seems like, yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's, sellers are lost, and and I don't know if they're more lost than they've ever been in the past. I mean, it's just it just seems different today somehow. And interested in your opinion on this because I've just been in several conferences the last few days, and a consistent message that that we hear is, and part of the reason we launched the sales house was, yeah, I've been trained, but now what? Mm. Yeah, when 
well, I've been trained, but when I when I actually get into it with a buyer, yeah, no one's really taught us how to think about the situation we're in. And so we've got mm. all, all this training that's that's really you know, disproportionately oriented toward top of funnel activities. And while there's no disputing how important it is to get a prospect, is you're not you're not winning the order most of the times in your initial outreach call. And it seems like sure. when you get people in that, gosh, they have to do meaningful discovery and needs analysis and qualification, disqualification, they're lost in the woods. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I, I think that I think that it's noisy right now out there in the sales in the sales world. It's noisy in, in a lot of different ways too. And as a, a millennial getting into sales, you you get on Google and say, okay, I'm selling this product and and I need to learn more about how to do it. Right. There's a, about 1,100 different answers to that question of how do I be better at sales inside of this industry? Everybody's got an opinion on it. And so it, it, it can cause people to become quite lost. So I think that, that the statement that you made about sellers being lost, I mean, that's, that's a very well put, very well articulated statement. But I, I, sort of behind, the question behind that question, though, is because, yeah, I started my career, I was selling mini computers, so not too dissimilar from selling copiers. Yeah, I'd get in the car, I'd go to business parks, I'd make 30, 40 cold calls a day. Um, you know, <laughs> didn't know what the hell I was doing initially, but eventually got good at it. But it seems like oh, so much of the, the stuff that's written about sales today is, is about you know, that, that initial outreach. And again, it's important. We've got to learn how to do it. But I just feel like we are we spending too much time focused on that and not enough on the rest of what it takes to actually bring somebody across the finish line? Yeah, I think that's a good it's a good question. The focus is a little too much on on the outreach and mostly because that's what sells to a manager or a, or a VP to bring you in to, to train in the first place, to train all these people. Hey, I'm going to teach your people how to how to get, you know, business through the door, not necessarily close it. So we do we we do put a lot of weight on that front end of the sale in the industries, you know, when it comes to sales training. And it, and it is, it can be very convoluted for the salesperson because they they don't I almost get to a point where they don't know what to do next. They they don't know how to set up an, a third appointment or a presentation close. Or I mean, they don't even know what questions to ask <laughs> outside of, you know, do you have this product and can we meet to talk about mine? So it, it is a great point. And I I think really the key to it is, is that we do just, we have created this monster on in, inside of the first touch because we say it's all about a massive amount of activity. And I think you and I both were raised in an industry where you had to have a massive amount of activity, but I had a whole year that I didn't make one cold call and I wrote well over a million dollars in sales. Oh, me too. Me too. I mean, it's, <laughs> it was, that's why I sort of question this. And I, first of all, you know, I love a lot of the guys that are, are pushing this and, and, you know, it is a necessary part of, of sales, but it's like, have we gone too far in this in terms of just the percentage of mind share that you need to devote to it as a yeah. seller? This is a discipline. Yeah, I granted we're seeing a lot of specialization in sales, certainly inside sales teams, you know, SDRs handing things off to AEs. Fine if it works in the business you're in. Some industries it's not working very well in, and they're they're making changes to it. But right. and I agree that everybody should have the ability to prospect. But if you're just come from another planet and come down and do a survey of all the sales literature that's being written, you would think 99% of it is about prospecting. And I'm like, okay, well, great. We've got all these shows. We had inbound, outbound, da, 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 which are, you know, fabulous content, but 
don't we need a conference on qualification and don't we need a conference on discovery? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I would think so for sure. Yeah, I, is there anybody even out there talking about it? <laughs> <laughs> Me. <laughs> I know you are. You're very uh, adamant. I'm building, building, building the momentum for that. So, yeah, and I think, so I think the problem is this, is that like, you know, most people don't, aren't focused on that because the problem is, is that they're not getting any new business right now because the old ways don't work anymore. And so they're looking for all these, you know, new tricks and tips and tools in order to make that part of their business thrive more. They're not focused on, on the long-term effect uh, that they're trying to, uh, to accomplish in the first place. They're more interested in the instant gratification of setting 10 appointments a week. And that's all they care about. So well, they want your calendar to be full. And that's all when they look at their reps and they look at the sales processes, they, and maybe in their head too, at the same time. I mean, I know some managers that definitely think this way that they'll help them close the sale. Oh, you know, I just need my rep to set the appointment. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll help them close the sale. I mean, and that's, that to me is just the wrong attitude. So. Well, yeah. I mean, if I was, <laughs> it was, to me, it was mortifying to have to have my manager come with me to close the sale when I was early in my career. I mean, there was nothing more motivating for me than to have my manager say, yeah, on this next call, I think I'll go with you. It's like, bullshit. <laughs> you know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That was like, all right, I'm going to go out and I'm going back to that customer right now. <laughs> We're gonna, yeah. yeah. Get this thing done. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it's to your point though, is I think that, that we see now with, with again, in certain businesses is this, this attitude you talked about is, you know, the manager's going to help close or to point you made earlier about the sort of excess of, of top of the funnel activity is, you know, we got these, I think in certain segments, we've got this uh, epidemic of low close rates. And I'm mm-hmm. interested in your opinion, because, you know, you came from sort of a similar background than I did is certainly in like sort of software space. It's not SaaS space, not unusual here. You know, managers being told they need to have five X pipeline coverage, you know, each month. And, right. And and then they have a one out of five close rate. Oh, they're most qualified opportunities. And it's like crazy, right? You're, you're burning through all yeah. these prospects. You know, I'd written a piece a couple weeks ago about, don't know if you saw it, about what if your manager came in and told you, yeah, effective immediately, your quota stays the same, but you can't go over 2x pipeline coverage. What would you do? Mm, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I might probably ask who is inhabiting his body now. <laughs> <laughs> right. But from a, from a, from a tactical standpoint, if that was the case yeah. and see, I think every company could learn to adapt to that pretty much is yep. yeah. What are the steps you would take? Yeah. And instead of saying, yeah, let's maximize the number of people in our pipeline because it's meaning that's meaningless is yeah. How do we get to the point where we can do a better job, discovery qualification and so on. So that at the end in our pipeline, really we're talking to people, we're going to close. Yeah. Yeah, I always looked at I, I looked at the the cold calling aspect of it to be a very very small part of the puzzle, and I think that's where most of my success came from. And I always trained my reps as a VP and a manager to do the same thing. And that once we have them through that first initial hurdle, there's like 19 or 20 more that we've got to jump through, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the idea was is that that's your work; it's not the prospects. So you you got to get them over that first hurdle, which can seem almost impossible, but the problem is, is that once they're in, you have a 99% chance of losing them. 
pretty much every time because fall if you don't follow up, the deal's gone, especially in the copier industry, right? It for us and what the way that we compete to in the Orlando market where it was really an issue was that everything is hyperinflated. So you've got a bunch of people that are, that are coming in like a boss or, or a VP of the company saying, here are the 10 things that you've got to do inside of the the closing appointment or the discovery appointment build this value, do this, do that. And then you come back to your boss and you go, Hey, they're going to leave. They're going to go with this other guy. Cause he's cheaper. And your boss goes, just give him the lowest price. Boss. <laughs> you know, so all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, why did we do all this other stuff? You know, what, what is this mind numbing game that we're playing at this point? And so reps eventually just stopped doing all the other steps and just said, how low do you need me to go? <laughs> well, no, I'll, no, I'll there, there's, <laughs> there's, there's an intermediate step. It's the reps would just wait till the last month or last week of the month. And then go to the manager and say, hey, I've done everything you said, and, and it's down to a price. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's funny how we, we um, you know, have a hard time with our motivations as an industry, being the sales industry. Because we say, we want to say, we want to believe that we are buyer-centric. And we want to be able to convince the buyer that you know, we have their best interests at heart, and we're just there to serve them. Until it gets the last week of the month and we haven't closed the deal. And, oh, by the way, here's here's a discount to close. And as soon as you do right. that, the buyer says, oh, like I said, it was never really about me. <laughs> because yeah. we love you, love you, we're here to help, 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 but close this month, we'll give an extra 5%. <laughs> and yeah. suddenly, yeah, you may get the deal, but the buyer's never going to trust you the way they would have before. Sure. Yeah. I remember the first time I was in a sales cycle where the customer came back to me. This was probably about a year into uh, working with my father full-time. The customer came back to me and said, can you match this price? And it was probably about $30 less per month. And I remember um, in my head, I just thought, well, yeah, of course I can like, mm-hmm. this is buy for me. But I, I respectfully told him, well, let me get with my boss, you know, who is my father. And right. I took it back to him and I'll never forget what he said because it affected my, my career. And that he told me to tell the customer no, <laughs> basically, um, in a nutshell. But he gave me a great he gave me a great outlook on how it was that I was supposed to handle and carry myself inside of that conversation, which was to just have an intelligent and honest conversation in my rebuttal to say like, look, the price is this from the start and to the finish for these reasons. Mm-hmm. And if you're not if you're not comfortable with that, then you know, please by all means go with the competition, but. But again, here's X, Y, and Z as I've laid out inside of this whole entire relationship that I've built, been building with you. And if you don't go with me, I'll see you in a year because I'll have to restart the cycle, um, you know, for four years down the road when you buy again. Right. Uh, because it's all about the relationship for me. And although I did scratch my head, I remember in the beginning and thought, it seems like it's going to be harder for me to get a sale that way. Um, that person bought uh, from me and I did not have to crack on the price. And I felt like I had just... I don't know, witnessed, you know, glory in its finest form. And that my father had like given me the, the keys to the, the kingdom, kingdom, right? right. And yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful feeling. And from there on out, I, I did have an epiphany and it's, it's what you're talking about in that we have this very, we have a rapid paced approach in sales and, and we're always working toward the end of the month. And for me, it was like, well, hold on, you know, cause this customer could now be mine for 20 years, just based off that one conversation. I just have to nuance what I just did for the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's literally, it all clicked for me. And so from there on out, it was much more low pressure, you know, sales tactics. And, and eventually I turned, you know, I turned a complete page in the way that I sold altogether. 
Um, you know, and again, my father didn't teach me any of the high pressure stuff in the first place. It was more or less me being rebellious and going and learning from other people. So, right. well, I think yeah, that, to your point, I think that that's a, you know, that's something that we don't focus on anymore. So, well, and I think along that same line, this is a, a point that I get concerned about It's another area we seem to obsess on in sales. And I think incorrectly is this whole idea of objections. I mean, to me, that wasn't a price objection. They were just trying to get some money off. <laughs> and exactly. And it's really what they were doing is they're asking a question. And the question really was, you know, is there any way to get this price lower? Because they sort of feel obligated right. to do that. Wasn't they <laughs> objected to your price? And I, I'm sort of amused at so many of these techniques that people talk about handling objections where you just need to find out the question they're asking. It's really right. an, object, an objections question. You know, it's not sure. What, what, what's, what's the problem we're trying to solve here? And right. you know, it could be in some cases, if maybe a little more complex sale. And certainly I, I sold some complex uh, stuff over my career. Is, yeah, our, if somebody had a quote-unquote concern about price, a lot of our conversation was, okay, well, fantastic. And we'd established that we, you know, we were still the best solution for them. So maybe we'll just deliver a little less, right? Maybe there's part of our offer that we'll take out that, you know, so you just, maybe this is not as important and we can then help, to help you hit your price objective. And it was always, no, 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 no. We want that too. Oh, okay. Right. That's right. So are we good to go ahead? Yeah. <laughs> and you do that little, tra- <laughs> you do that little trade-off game and they'd already bought in, right? Sure. Absolutely. It really, it's, I think what, inside of negotiations <laughs> that it really is just our buyer being honest about the way that they're feeling at that moment, you know, because maybe they, they did through research expect to spend a little less, or maybe they had a budget that the boss asked them to hit. And so they're just being honest inside of their objection as, as you, you put it um, with us. And I think, cause I think it's the best thing that they can do in the first place because it allows us to see that where they're at and how they feel. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, I like the way you put it too, that they kind of feel obligated as well to some degree. And most, and most of that is because of the other salespeople that have been in there in most cases and shown them these lower prices, but they didn't like them obviously because they're sitting with me. Mm-hmm. So you got to take those types of things into account. I, again, I think that we, we take everything out of context. The, the objection really is just an emotion and it's, and it's honesty. That's all it is. It's a, it's a raw human emotion. Them saying like, well, I can go with X product or Y product. I like Y product because it's with you, but X product is like 10% less. So can you match it? I mean, really, they're just, in their mind, they're just putting it all together. So yeah, yeah. it's holding that process. Yeah. And yeah, it's not really an objection. <laughs> so yeah, see, we could simplify all this. So we just yeah. need to keep talking. We'll simplify the world, boil it down to assessments. <laughs> One interview at a time. <laughs> One interview at a time. Well, that's what I'm doing here on the show after 702, uh, 701 this week. I'm sorry. I've lost track. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Yeah, interviews. So, uh, well, okay. Well, great. Well, unfortunately, I need to cut it short here at this point, but um, tell people how they can find out more about the Sales Rebellion. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn as Dale Dupree. Uh, obviously, I have a company page as well, too, but the content that I post on LinkedIn comes directly through Dale Dupree. So, if you if you enjoy stories, you know, funny or not, <laughs> uh, I think they're funny uh, about <laughs> about old copier battles that I've been in, um, and then also some wisdom and things that I share as well too, just from my walk. Uh, you find me on LinkedIn, but you can check me out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's everything is at Sales Rebellion. Um, so feel free to follow me on any social sites, and then I've got a great podcast called Selling Local that I think most people will enjoy. We just kind of dumb down the sales process, kind of like we just did right now to 
make people think a little bit more humanistically mm-hmm. about their approach to sales and less robotically. So, yeah, I might quibble with the fact saying we dumbed it down, but I think we elevated it, and that helped. Yeah. You know, yeah. Hey, there's, sometimes there's, there's the elegance. Kiss and, is, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, <laughs> it's not. It's hard to make things simple, right? So it is. Yeah. So all right, Dale. It's been a pleasure, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate you having me on. All right, friends, that was Accelerate for this week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. also want to thank my guest, Dale Dupree. And you want to stick around uh, till next week as my guest will be David Massover. David's the author of a book titled The Salesman's Guide to Dating, a sales book about making connections with an unexpected twist, which the book certainly has. David and I are going to talk about his interesting journey, how a sales expert from the U.S. ended up living in Hungary, And we're also going to dig into why sales training and the development of sales reps, the professional development of sales reps, hasn't really progressed over the last several decades and how that needs to change. You're really going to enjoy this conversation, so be sure to join us then. And before you go, don't forget to check out The Sales House, the all-in-one sales performance accelerator for B2B sellers just like you. Visit thesaleshouse.com and look forward to seeing you there. All right. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.